Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. That's what this show is all about. I believe that successful women think differently. And by the end of this show, I hope you'll agree. The story you are about to hear is one of my all-time favorites. It comes from the archives, and it features a woman who has defied medical science to set world records in cold water marathon swimming. Born in Boston and raised in New Hampshire, Lynn Cox fell in love with swimming at about seven. Her parents moved the family to Southern California, where she trained with an Olympic coach. And along the way, she discovered open water swimming. At 15, she swam the English Channel, breaking the women's and the men's records, returning at 16 to do it all over again. And that was just the beginning of her journey as a world-class athlete. Lynn made marathon swimming her life, swimming through just about every body of water in the world, wearing only a bathing suit, cap, and goggles. Lynn weighs 180 pounds. She's five feet, six inches tall. And when she swims through frigid waters, like her one-mile swim to Antarctica in ice-cold 32-degree water, her body temperature rose instead of falling. This exceptional woman defies medical science. You see, tests have shown that Lynn's body density is like seawater, and that rare condition gives her something called neutral buoyancy. I guess you could say Lynn Cox was just born to swim. I started out our interview by asking her to take us back to her earliest memory of swimming. My earliest memory is of swimming in Snow Pond in Waterville, Maine, with my mom and dad and my older brother and two younger sisters, and actually our Dalmatian, Beth. We would swim out into the pond when it was really hot and sticky or at night just to cool off. Oh, night swimming. It was the best. A great place to be. Right from the beginning, I felt at home there. You know, I tell children when I'm teaching swimming that I want them to feel what their body is doing in the water, turn on their ears and listen to the sound of their hands and their feet swim silently to me. So I would ask you to just sort of describe for us what it's like with this amazing skill that you have to do outdoor swimming in rough waters. How does your body feel while you're doing it? Well, it feels different according to the swim that you're doing. And a lot of times you just adjust your body to the movement of the water. You learn how to go through waves or ride them. You feel like you've got a skirt of lace of waves splash around you sometimes. It's really a great sense of buoyancy and movement with the water. And sometimes you are fighting really hard against it. Mm. And in doing that, you feel your strength as a human being. It's just you and nature against nature and sometimes with it. And actually, if you really think about it, when you're in your mom's womb, you're swimming around in salt water. So there's not a great transition from there to the swimming pool or the open ocean or any lake. It's the transition to land that's so hard. You started out as a competitive swimmer. So tell me about your first open water swim. My first open water swim was off the coast of California, the first race that I ever did. And I swam a three-mile swim, a two-mile swim, and a one-mile swim. And I won the first two races and got second in the third one. And I sort of decided that I can be good at this. This is something I really want to do. heard about a group of kids who wanted to swim the Catalina Channel. And I asked my coach if I could train with them, and he said yes. So that sort of started the whole thing. 
Now, as our interview continued, I asked her if it was true. Does she really swim in warm, shark-infested waters without a shark cage? One long swim that I did was around the Cape of Good Hope, and there are problems with sharks there. But the thing is that if you use a cage, you get a 30% drag at least from the cage. And I've always believed that when you make a swim, you really need to do it under your own power or why do it. So I've done all my swims without cages or without any kind of assistance. And I've used what's called the English Channel Swimming Rules, where you can wear a bathing suit, bathing cap, and goggles, and that's all. And then you have boat escorts that help guide you or watch over you while you're doing the swims. Speaking of boat escorts, I also read that while you were swimming in Iceland, there was a boat ahead of you that had to break through the ice. It was a little rowboat. My friend who was along there helping out with it, Dina Mankin, had to use the boat to break the ice so I could get through this area that was covered with pan ice. How do you maintain your own body's temperature in water that is that cold? I mean, most people would listen to this interview and say, how come she doesn't get hyperthermic? Part of it is that I've trained so long. I started at age 15 training to swim in cooler waters. And as I was able to achieve those swims, I would start lowering the temperature and swim longer distances in in colder water and gradually build up somewhat of a tolerance to it. But I feel the cold just like anyone else. And I get a lot of grief from my friends because we'll be outside and I'll go, oh, it's really cold out. And they look at me like, you can't be cold. You can't be serious. What was it like to swim the English Channel? What do you remember most about it? Only 16 years old when you broke that record. You start off at night when the wind is down and you rely heavily on an escort boat beside you and you rely on their lights sort of to guide you. So you're sort of staring at this pinpoint of light all through the night, going off course a lot because the currents carry you. There's a point where you get close to the French coast and it's really hard to distinguish between the sky and the water where things sort of blur together at dawn. And it's partly, I think, because you've been swimming for so many hours. By then, it's sort of six or seven or eight hours of swimming and at a very fast rate. So it could be that your blood sugar's low or that you're just really getting tired. At that point, I just remember that I had to stop and drink some warm apple juice to sort of take a quick break and get going again. But when you take the break, all you can do is tread water. You can't touch anyone on the boat or float on anything because that's cheating. You sort of stretch out on your back and then get going again. But I also remember that those swims that cross the English Channel were really difficult because I was going for the record the first time and I broke it. And then the second time I went to do it when I was 16, I broke it again. But there was a lot more pressure because I'd done it once. And also, my course was a lot further the second time I swam, three nautical miles further. And the conditions were not as good as the first time. There have been many great swims for you. Tell me about your favorite one, the one where you felt like you were on and this was a great performance for you. I think that all of them have their own uniqueness. I basically am the one that goes out and gets the support to do it or earns my money to do it. I work with local people to coordinate the logistics and have my team from the United States helping me out as well. I usually have a couple doctors and a couple other friends who come along and and lend support. So each one is unique unto itself. I think that, you know, doing the Catalina Channel when I was 14 was really a big deal because I had no idea what to expect. Doing that and making it across in 12 and a half hours from the island to the mainland made me realize that this is something that I really love and that I can be good at. So I think that was the door opener to everything else. Walk us through what your training is like. And then in particular, would you please tell us what you need to do before you swim? What kind of food do you need to eat? How do you store up your energy for your body? How does it work? 
Each swim that I do, I train specifically for, and each one's very different from the other. Sometimes I'm going to be training for extremely cold water. Sometimes it's about the distance. For the swim that I did in Antarctica, I really didn't know what to expect at all because it was so far beyond anything I'd ever done before. But one of the things I did do was work with an athletic trainer who was a wrestler before he was a trainer. And we worked on building up my upper body strength a lot by using weights and using a balance ball and basically learning how to work at a faster rate. I've gone long distances at a certain pace, but this time I knew that I was going to have to go really fast to create enough heat to stay warm, but also to make the distance that I wanted to go. And the distance I wanted to try to achieve was a mile in 32-degree waters, wearing a bathing suit, cap, and goggles. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty challenging. Before you get in the water, what have you had to eat? Before the swim in Antarctica, I had a couple croissants and four eight-ounce glasses of hot water. One of the problems you have with hypothermia or being on the border of hypothermia is dehydration. So I figured that if I load the system ahead of time by drinking a lot of warm water ahead of time, then I'm going to do two things. I'm going to hydrate the system ahead of time to compensate for what I'm going to lose, but I'm also going to add heat to my body. So what I wanted to try to do is get my body so that it would become like a thermos and start warming it from the very beginning. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, actually, I look at it different ways. For so many years in plotting out different swims, I've taken on a straightforward approach, and I've learned now that that doesn't always work. When it doesn't work directly, try indirectly. And when that doesn't work, try another way and just keep trying. But don't try the same thing over and over again. What role has passion played in achieving your goals? All of it. I could not do what I do without believing it, without believing in myself, and without believing in the people that are helping me do what I'm doing. If you couldn't swim, what would you do with your life? Ah, It's so much a part of my life. I've never thought I would be without it. But I guess fly. Because I think that when you're swimming, you're in flight. And you're gliding along the surface of the water. And I think that maybe it would be similar in the air. And sometimes when it gets really rough flying and I get kind of scared, I go, okay, just pretend this is a boat on the water and you'll be okay. Describe to me one of those moments when you were having a swim and something frightening happened. How did you get around it? I did a swim once, just as a training swim across the Golden Gate, right by the Golden Gate Bridge. And the way the currents move into the bay are very quickly, very unpredictable. And so I was swimming along, and suddenly the water fell underneath me. I was swimming through a hole. And then suddenly I was being picked up and swirled through and thrown right near a pillar. And it was extremely scary. But... What I did is sort of just say, you know, I don't know where to go. I'm just going to let go. (laughs) And basically the water pulled me through, and I was on the other side of the Golden Gate, and then I started moving across the waterway there. So sometimes it's just based on faith and a little trust, huh? Exactly. (laughs) In your downtime, what do you do just to relax? I read a lot, and I enjoy just talking to people and traveling and 
being out in the woods walking around. But what I do a lot of times is I write, and that's what I've been doing. That's really been my career as a writer now. Tell us a little about it. Well, the book's called Swimming to Antarctica, and it really focuses on the swim that I did between the ship, the Orlova, which was anchored a mile offshore, and then landing on the mainland of Antarctica. But what I do is I talk about all the other swims and experiences that build up to it and the learning that went along the way and just the people that I've met in Iceland or in the Straits of Gibraltar area or different parts of the world. And that's really, it's about the journey as much as the destinations. It sounds to me, and certainly when I look at your list of accomplishments, that you really have been a trailblazer. And I know that along with being a trailblazer for women, there comes a bit of responsibility. Do you feel responsible to communicate how far you've come and what you've learned so far to other women? Well, actually, that's really why I've continued doing what I've wanted to do, because I feel like just because you become a certain age doesn't mean you have to stop doing what you love doing. And maybe by doing other things, you then learn more that you can bring back to your sport or bring back to your life. So I think that it's really important to be trailblazing in that sense. But I also have done a lot of motivational lectures, and I've written this book. And the reason I've done it, too, is to say, you know, these were big goals for me. And it's really important to live your life goals. That's a big part of why you're here. And life is pretty empty if you don't get a chance to do them. So it's really worth sticking to it. Sports and girls. What did sports do for you as a developing girl and then as a young woman? Sports has always given me a sense of confidence that I can be good at what I do. And also discipline that if I want to achieve something, I have to work out a certain way. A lot of that I applied back to learning, education, schoolwork. I was pretty disciplined all the way through high school and college. Workouts were between four and five hours a day. And in between that was studying and in between that, in the very small space, was socializing, but not a whole lot. Who has been your greatest role model, Lynn, in your life? I think my mom and dad are my greatest role models. My dad is a physician, and my mom's an artist, and they sort of think so differently from each other. But they both have been able to do what they wanted to do with their lives. And they've also instilled in the entire family that it's important to have goals, it's important to have something to aim for, and that when you reach whatever it is you want to achieve, you really feel a great sense of satisfaction. And in doing so, you then have the ability to do something else that you might not have done otherwise. Let's say that there is a, a young girl out there who's listening to our program, and she's hemming and hawing over being a swimmer or perhaps being a, a, a competitive anything. What advice w would you give to her? What was the hardest part for you, and how could you help her get past some of those tough times? Because there's a lot of sacrifice, isn't there? There's a lot of sacrifice, but I think that you make choices in your life of things that you want to do. It's really important as a young girl to be able to do a number of different things to see what you like doing and to make your own decision on what you want to do. I think it's wrong when parents tell kids this is what you need to do because there's no love there, there's no passion there, and there's no reason to be doing it. So I think the most important thing is try a bunch of different sports or music or anything and find out what you like and then pursue that, but don't pursue something you don't like. And finally, I would say you are the expert when it comes to swimming, and I can tell you as a swimming teacher that no one is harder to teach how to swim than an adult. So in case there is an adult who is listening to you and I talk about this love of swimming that we both have, can you take that person by the hand? Maybe it's a woman who's afraid of the water, and could you this morning try to convey 
your joy about it to her? What I would do with her, and I've done this before, I've taught some women who have drowned when they were children and then resuscitated and then they're afraid of their lives. What I do is I will get them into the water so gradually so that first they just feel the water, they feel the buoyancy of their feet, they feel it moving across them, and any time they feel resistant, then we step back. What I try to do is get to a point where we can sit, take a big breath and sit on the bottom and feel the water lifting them up. And what I do is ask them to try to sit on the bottom for five seconds and then three seconds and one second, and they can't do it. And suddenly this light goes on like, oh, it's the water. It's pushing me up. And then they sort of learn that when they take a breath, their lungs fill with air, and those lungs are like balloons on their back, which lift them. So the more relaxed they become in the water, the more the balloons fill and the more easy it is to move through the water. It's really about trusting somebody who's a good teacher, relying on that, and then taking it gradually. Is there another goal that you have before your career is over? Because you're still going strong. I have so many other things that I want to do in swimming and writing in life, and I think that that's what it is about being here. Do those things you really want to do. Thank you for sharing your story with us, and congratulations on your induction into the New England Women's Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Candy. I've got an update on Lynn, and it's really quite something. A few years ago, she lost both of her parents, whom she had been caring for for quite some time. And then her beloved yellow lab, Cody, died too. And Lynn started to experience stress-induced cardiomyopathy, and she was diagnosed with broken heart syndrome. She's recovered now, and she recently released a book about her experience. It's called Swimming in the Sink. You can find it easily on Amazon.com. I just ordered a copy for myself. Lynn says, when I swim, I feel a spiritual connection to the oceans, to God and the universe. The ocean is the place I can always go when I'm seeking solace and when I'm happy. No matter where I go in the world, the water feels like home. Her heart is mended now, and Lynn Cox can swim again. So I'm feeling like we need to play a song for her. And this one is perfect. Here comes Night Swimming by R.E.M. For Lynn and for all of us who just love the water. Night swimming serves a quiet night. Photograph on the dashboard taken years ago. Turned around backwards so the windshield shows every street light reveals a picture in reverse. Still, it's so much clearer. I forgot my shirt at water's edge the moon is low tonight night swimming deserves a quiet night I'm not sure all these people understand not like years ago, fear of getting caught, of recklessness of water, they cannot see me now. 
Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?